We're so glad that you're listening to the Branches Podcast. If you're in the Houston area, we'd love to see you in person at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. For more information, go to brancheshtx.org. We hope this message helps you draw closer to God and that you hear the good news that you belong. Thanks for listening. Almighty God, we're grateful for this moment, this opportunity, this space set aside, this hour set aside, this morning set aside, that we can stop and experience you and just open our spirits and our hearts and our ears to hear from you, to experience you. We ask that you would meet us in this moment. You'd meet us when we come to the table. That you'd meet us in our conversations and that you would offer us Sabbath rest. You would stop us on our tracks so we would hear you and see you and experience you. And then as we leave this place, that you would make us instruments of that stop. That we would see things around us that we know need to end and you would make us instruments of making those things end that people could experience your love and your grace and your mercy more palpably than they do right now. We thank you for this pause. In Jesus' name. Amen. How we tell time, how we've decided that we're going to divide up our time, the little increments and units that we use, for the most part, largely, are due to things out of our control externally. Uh, The planets in motion are revolving around the sun, the planet Earth spinning and spinning and spinning quickly than we're even able to experience and realize And as time marches on, we measure it, we count it, and we look back and we know our birthdays and our anniversaries and these pivotal moments on our lives and also these large, more community experiences where where we know things happen on these specific dates and those dates are drilled into our mind because we experienced them or we heard about them or we had to take a history test or something. The way we measure time tells us something about who we are as people, that we look up at the sky and we realize that this world around us is in control by something or someone else, and so we start to count. And we're able then to record things that happened in the past and know where we are in the present and in some measure, maybe just a small measure, predict the future. But one of those measurements, one of those units of time that we measure our days and our months and our weeks and our years as the seven-day week, and it's not based on astronomy. And it's not based on heavenly bodies revolving around us. It's something that we've decided. We've just claimed. There actually was a time where people thought, well, maybe we could have a 10-day week. And this was so they could work people harder and for longer. And it didn't work, as you might imagine. I have even the thought of that. I'm like, no, thank you. <laughs> uh, I'll just go, I'll have my seven, please. Thank you. Uh, but, it, but, but it makes us wonder, like, why would we choose those seven days? And of course, uh, Judeo-Christian people, we trace it back to the story that we read today, or at least a portion of the story that we read today. And I'm reminded of the second greatest news I've ever been told. I'd say the first greatest news I've ever been told is the good news about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Second is this, that we have the same hours in the day as Beyonce. And uh, she gets a lot done, you know? <laughs> Or, okay, maybe she's not your thing. You have the same hours in the day as Taylor Swift. She's prolific. You know, she gets a lot done, like album after album. Or name your person, Elon Musk, um, Jeff Bezos, whoever you admire, like, wow, they're productive. You have the same hours in the day as that person. 
Maybe it's somebody you admire, your parent or a boss or somebody that you work with. Like, how do they get it all done? For one of those people, for me, is Katie Montgomery Mears, one of the other pastors at St. Luke's. I'm like, well, I say, how does she get it done? I know she gets it done. She never stops. <laughs> uh, and I, I know that when she was driving back and forth uh, to, to Louisiana and back during COVID times, that she was often on her laptop in the passenger seat, and God bless her husband, Whitney, you know, driving, and she's typing away next to him. Uh, how do they get it done? We have the same hours in the day, and I think that, but I don't know that. Like, I know that up here, but I don't know that here. Like, it hasn't made that drop from my head to my heart that at the same hours in the day as the people that I want to be like so desperately. Sometimes my days feel like they get taken away from me. Productivity expert Michael Hyatt says, if you don't schedule your day, someone else will schedule it for you. Has anybody else felt like that before? Like, somebody has taken over your day, and it's because you didn't set it aside, so somebody else took control of it, and you let them. And before you know it, it fills up. I try to keep my Thursdays relatively open, that I can do some deep work and project work. And a couple of Thursdays ago, it felt like everybody else, you know, had an idea for what I should do that day, except for me. (laughs) If we don't schedule our time, someone else will schedule it for us. And it's a, a larger, it's a symptom of a larger cultural problem, I think, that we have. And I was, you know, doom scrolling last night, uh, thinking about all this and anxiety and stress, and I could feel myself getting stressful. I'm like, dude, you're preaching about Sabbath tomorrow. Cool it. But I felt like I could invite you into this experience. So here we go. <laughs> uh, 43 to 52% of people asked, this was in 2021, a uh, business report, said that they're currently, that they, not in the past, but they are currently experiencing what we'd call burnout. Uh, you don't have to share, but I think most of us have or are currently experiencing burnout in our own lives, 43 to 52%. Uh, the number is even higher for emerging generations, so millennials and Gen Z, they feel more burnt out, like 58 to 59%. Uh, I don't know, too much time buying avocado toast or whatever they say about us. I don't know. Uh, uh, they feel more burnt out. Uh, everyone across the board, no matter the generation, said that COVID made it worse. Uh, COVID actually impacted older generations more People were so burnt out that they retired earlier than they thought they were going to, even though the conditions weren't right yet. They were like, I can't take this anymore. They retired or they quit or they changed careers or they moved. Over half of traffic accidents, when people ask about, uh, ask the people who were in the accident, like on the police report, and they ask what contributed to the accident, over half of them, people report one or the other that they were in a hurry <laughs> or that they were stressed out about something else, so they were distracted. From 1979 to 2019, so this isn't, isn't quite up to date, but still really telling, productivity has gone up 60%. Wages have only gone up 16%. <laughs> so people are producing and doing way more for way less. Average hourly work over the course of the year is down 2.3%, so people are actually uh, spending more, less hours working just by a small margin, but producing more. And cardiologists Meyer Friedman and Ray Roseman have come up with this term, uh, hurry sickness, uh, that they recognize, they're cardiologists, that tells you everything, that people feel hurried and stressed and overworked and um, uh, burnt out, and it causes more cardiological problems for them, more heart problems. So they diagnose it as hurry sickness. 
is also learning that we now live in an attention economy, and all of us participate in this, that, you know, there's an endless scroll of content that we could go to. That's why things like TikTok are so popular. I, hi, I'm Colin, and I'm a TikTok addict, you know. Uh, there's these small bites that are able to capture our attention for a moment, and that's what makes us buy things. Like, if I see a thing on Instagram that I never knew I needed, I'm going to buy it, you know. Uh, we live in an attention economy. If something captures your attention, that's what wins. I read this book a couple of years ago called The Shallows. Anybody read that book before? It's about how uh, our devices are literally rewiring our brains. One of the startling things about it is that we're actually not learning things. We're not learning how to do skills or learning concepts. We're just learning where to find the information, and that's a lot easier. Uh, so the kind of uh, premise of the book is like we're teaching ourselves and training ourselves to be dumber. <laughs> So we're stressed out, and we're in a hurry, and we're anxious, and we're overworked, and we're burning out, and we're also dumber. Uh, <laughs> welcome to Branches. <laughs> I'm so glad that you're here today. But that's the kind of premise that we're working with. That's the landscape that we're in. And maybe you don't agree with or experience all of that on your own. Maybe you know a guy who knows a guy who's experiencing that. Or maybe it's really, really close to home. Maybe as I was reading those statistics and those kind of observations about the world we live in, you could feel it. I know last night that I was collecting these, that's not even all of them, I, you know, like as I was collecting these things to say, I could feel myself like, ooh, <laughs> you know, uh, I could feel the temperature rising, I could feel my heart beating faster, I could feel myself mapping onto my experience, and, and maybe that's why I acted this way, or maybe that's why I said that thing I said, because we're stressed out and we're hurried. The good news is, again, the good news is we have the same hours in the day as this other person or that person, Beyonce, Taylor Swift, Jeff Bezos, pick your person. We have the same hours in a day. And the, the good news is that uh, we're not alone. The good news is that, you know, for, as appearance is, those folks have it all figured out. But also people as celebrities and really rich people, they also experience burnout and stress and anxiety just like you do because they're human. The bad news is, and maybe you've heard somebody say this before, your systems, the way the, the, the patterns and the habits that you've worked out are perfectly designed for the results you're already getting. <laughs> that, yeah, there's a lot of external factors. There's a lot of forced labor in the world. There's a lot of ways where you feel like, I have to hurry, I have to jam-pack my days, I have to fit everything in, and I can't possibly slow down, or this will fall by the wayside, or I'll fail at this, or this will happen. There are external circumstances, but there's ways in which we interact in the world that are giving us the results that we're getting of people stressed out and hurried and anxious. I'm reminded of James Cone, who's a theologian, who's actually from Arkansas originally, but he taught in seminary, Union Seminary in New York. And when he was kind of discerning his calling in his life, he's like, I want to write all these books, and I want to teach all these classes, and I want to be this public figure, and I want to do all these things. And he said one of the only times in his life he felt he heard an audible voice in his prayer and spiritual life was, if you want to do all that, sit down. <laughs> he was a hurried person. If you ever listened to him speak before, you can find clips of him on the internet, just like, talk, 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 really, really, really fast. His, his brain is going way faster than his mouth can move. And he heard that he thinks from God, you need to sit down. <laughs> if you want to accomplish all these things, if you want to be the person you feel like you're supposed to become, you need to slow down. And I think that's where we find ourselves in this story this morning from the Genesis story, this creation story that even if you're not familiar with the Bible, is at least lightly familiar to you in conversation that, you know, maybe 
6,000 years ago, in 24 literal hour days, God created the heavens and the earth. Or maybe you read it in a different way, this kind of poetic understanding of what God did a long time ago. We read creation as an event. And I learned a lot from a theologian named Ian McFarland, who I have the pleasure of learning from in seminary, who said, we get creation all wrong. We describe creation as like this thing that happened in the past, but what creation actually is, is God's relationship with everything that isn't God. But no matter how literal or figurative you read the Genesis story, that's the truth that's at the middle of it. God is God, and we are not. God, out of his own love, out of his own Trinitarian interrelational love, decided, he didn't have to, but out of his own love and his own desire, decided to create things that weren't him. Creation and animals and the seas and the skies and the mountains and the planets and the stars and the galaxies that we don't even know about God, out of his own love, decided to create those things, made the affirmative action to do those things, to create, and also created beings that could resist him. Beings that he desired relationship with, but could also desire not to have relationship with him. And that's what creation truly is about. And then we come to the end of the week where he created everything, where he brought everything into existence out of nothing. And it says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. Some of them say, in their vast expanse. I really like that too. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. Critics of this story, if you have this story at the base of your religion or spiritual life, would say, um, did God get tired? <laughs> Why would God need to rest? It doesn't say that God got tired, but that he chose on the seventh day to set this day aside to rest. God wasn't tired. He decided to rest because he wanted to set aside this day for us to also stop. We learn also in this same book that God created us in his image. And people have a lot of theories about what that means, but maybe part of that image is that we, we decide to rest. We decide to Sabbath. That's a literal word. And the word Sabbath, Shabbat, can also mean to stop or to cease. God worked for six days and he created, and then on one day he just didn't. <laughs> and it built into the fabric of the universe and the vast array in its multitude God said, I'm going to rest on this day, and I'm going to give that day that I gave myself to creation. If we could boil it all down, and what this seventh day means, we'd again reiterate, and we would personalize it for ourselves. We would say, this is what that seventh day means. On that seventh day, I'm going to, in my own action, in my own word, in my own deed, in my own speech, in my prayer life, I'm going to acknowledge this truth. There is a God and his name is not Colin. <laughs> there is a God, and his name is not this person or that person. There is a God, and it's not me, and it's not the political ideology I subscribe to, and it's not this person, and it's not this pastor, and it's not this book. There is a God, and it's not me, and he created everything, and he gave me this day to enjoy him. There's a God, and it's not me. And that's, that's how Jesus lived his life, too. We see over and over again in the Gospels, these first century biographies of Jesus' life, that he would take time away, that he celebrated the Sabbath, that he would feast with his friends, that even on the Sabbath day, on Passover, he, he, he ate a meal with his friends and he washed their feet, knowing that some of them would betray him. He set aside the Sabbath day, and he went to prayer, and he went to bask in who God was. And he was God himself, and he still celebrated the Sabbath. As we begin this series, I, I want to spend the next four weeks getting really deeply practical with one another. 
There's a lot of kind of lofty things we can do. We're going to provide resources and podcasts and books that you can dive into to learn more about the idea of Sabbath, of stopping. But that's the first step. As we go into these next three weeks, we have to start there to stop. Just like God who worked for six days, he stopped on the seventh. And it was out of that seventh day that God continued to create and invites us in partnership to create with him. We could flip our week around and we could start the Sabbath day. For me, it has to be on Saturday. (laughs) We start that day and out of that day, we pour out of ourselves into more creation, into more beauty, into more work, into more partnership. And here's how we're going to do it. There's kind of three ways I think I want to recommend for us to stop. Uh, First, uh, we have to learn how to say no. (laughs) I'm guilty of this so badly. Uh, I want people to like me. So I say yes to things I know I don't have the margin for, I know are going to stress me out, and I know is way too much. We have to learn how to say no. That's one way of stopping. We have to disconnect. Uh, again, I'm preaching out of my own need. Landon and I set aside a Saturday where I didn't have my phone um, from Friday night till Sunday morning. I'm like, what if Carrie needs something? Or what if something goes wrong? And like, even thinking about it and retelling it, I'm stressed out a little bit. We don't need it. In fact, we know, studies have shown that our connection to all the bad things that are happening in the world make us more stressed out. (laughs) And it's not that things are worse in the world necessarily, it's just that we have access to all of it. (laughs) Maybe the first step to that, to being disconnected, is like charge your phone in another room at night and not have it next to your bed, not to like lull yourself to sleep with the warm glow of Twitter, you know, (laughs) Uh, and not to wake yourself with the next horrible, awful thing that's happened in the world. I remember my friend in seminary, Laura, she had a sticker on her computer that I think about all the time. Thank you, Laura. It said, don't worry, the internet will be here when you get back. (laughs) And it's true. Maybe even in a more stark way, Rich Viotis, who we quoted a while ago, just several weeks ago, he says, and this is kind of hard to hear, but I think it's really helpful. He said, the Sabbath, stopping on the Sabbath, setting a day aside or setting some time aside is preparing yourself to not exist anymore. That the world will go on without you that you can step back and it tells you something about God, that God holds existence in his hands and he doesn't really need you. And that's not a bad thing because what it tells you is that he actually desires you. (laughs) He desires relationship with you and he desires your partnership in the world with the work that you do, with the vocation you've been called to. It prepares us to not be around. The third one is a little woo-woo here. Remember, the the Christian faith started in the East, so we're getting a little Eastern spirituality here. Um, I feel like I'm telling people about a new restaurant or like a movie that I've watched for the first time when I'm like, have you guys tried breathing? <laughs> you know? Uh, that we know that our brains are deoxygenated, that we don't breathe enough, that the thing becomes so mechanical that we don't offer our attention and our consciousness to it just to like sit and take a breath. We know when we're stressed out. We know when we're over the edge. We know when we're getting close to burning out. We know when we need to take some time to set aside and breathe and to breathe in our nose and breathe out our mouths and take it really, really deep and let it out. It's a gift. God gave life to humanity by breath, and that very breath is in our lungs right now. God gave life to human beings by breathing into them, and some rabbis say that the very name of God, Yahweh, is an emulation of that breath coming in and out, that when we breathe, we're speaking God's name because we're speaking life into the world. Have you guys tried breathing? Give it a shot. (laughs) I want to land just a couple of places. One, I just reminded of this quote, Irenaeus, one of the church fathers. He said, the glory of God is the human person fully alive. 
Sabbath is teaching us to be truly who God created us to be. There's two sides of this coin. God created us to work, and that doesn't necessarily mean a job. It could be our parenting or the, the, the life that God has given us, the vocation, the calling that God has given us. We've, we're created for that, and we're really good at that in the West. We've got that part down. <laughs> but he also created us for rest. He also created us for Sabbath. He also created us to stop. It's woven into the fabric of the universe. And so it's actually it's simpler to step into because it's part of who we are, to recognize both sides of that, to set aside rest. And I, I want to say, I know it's not easy. And that's why I invite us to take small bites, <laughs> to take a moment to stop, maybe just a couple of hours if we can, maybe to set aside whatever technology we have. And I'm not like a prude about technology. I'm on the Apple upgrade program. I get a new phone any chance I can get. <laughs> I love it. But I also know that used wrong, it's a tool used wrong, it keeps me from recognizing that truth. I don't want to land here. The beauty of the creation story, the truth I want us to hold on to about what Sabbath is, what it really teaches us about who we are and how we are in God's world is this, that God created all those things on, in six days and every day there's a rhythm of this and on the seventh day he stepped back and he said, not just that like, oh, that was pretty good. He said, that's very good. And we read that story like, oh, that's beautiful. Yes, creation is beautiful. It's very good. Hear this. That includes you. When God created the heavens and the earth and he created humanity, he had you in mind. And he created all things, and that includes you. And he stepped back and he saw all of it, including you, and said, it's indeed very good. And he breathes life into it even now, sustains us in life and worship in this very moment. He stops and he looks at you, and he says, I love you. And he, all he asks of us, all he asks of us in Sabbath, in that stopping, is for ourselves to stop, for ourselves to pause, and look and bask in that reality. That's what Sabbath is. That's where we're going to begin, is to stop and recognize, as the psalm says, that you are God. You are holy. You created in me. Behold, you are the one in whom Jesus Christ came to be with us. You hold it all together. And so we stop. That's where we begin. And I invite you on that journey with us. That we make these Sundays a place where we can stop and say, God, you are who you are, and I am who I am, and I'm grateful for that. That's my prayer for us, that God would stop us in our tracks. Not to make us feel bad about our work, but to experience fully who he is and who he's invited us to be. Let's pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for the gift of breath, for the time that you've given us, that when it seems so short, we know that it's just full of your presence. Help us stop so we can see it and experience it. Just breathe it in. Wash it over us so that we can point others to you, that we can tell others and experience others and partner with others to stop and see that you are good. We thank you for your goodness. Help us stop and see it. In Jesus' name, amen.